Listening Dog Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is How to DJ. How to DJ. You know, I, I always say, like, house music is the international language, you know, of, of the, the world. world. Really, it's not so much the act, it's the song. So it really comes down to the song. So it could be anyone, and you hear that track, and you go, wow, I really love that track. I've, I've DJed in great venues all over the world, you know, I mean, the big venues that everyone talks about. A podcast exploring life stories, techniques, minds, and experiences of much-loved DJs, where I asked them to pick five questions from a box of 45. And this is part two with award-winning DJ and producer, David Holmes. How similar or different was it doing Killing Eve? Is your process always the same? No, it's different for everything. I mean, some of my 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 favourite work that I've done, I've done without even watching the film. So I can read a script or have a discussion with the director and then they can just sort of sit, you know, give me like a ballpark of just like, yeah, I think this is a kind of like in that world. And then I can go away and create a score and come back and the director actually starts cutting to the original score. And so it's a weird one that, you know, it's, 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 it's an emotional reaction that I have. I can see how music works in different moments you know different that have a really strong range of emotions and quick you were born to do it weren't you i, I wouldn't say i was born to do it but i i kind of just like whatever happened when i grew up and you know all the stuff that happened to me from coming from a great family to suffering real trauma and and having a lot of time to just like listen to you know music and absorb cinema you know, that was one of the beautiful things about growing up when we did because you'd go to the video library and you'd come back with, you know, Midnight Cowboy and, you know, The Postman Always Rings Twice or, you know, The Warriors. You know, you're like all this amazing cinema. And because you didn't have any options, when I look back, I kind of feel like I was kind of going to school, but nobody was telling me what to do. You know, I was actually just going to school on my own terms without actually realising I was going to school. I left school when I was 15. Just no interest at all. My school was crazy. You know, it was, you know, it's the Armour Road, the markets, Short Strand. And it was just like, you know, it was crazy. I mean, there's people in my school a year above me who were in the IRA and, you know, and then you had other families who were just insane, you know, violent. You know, you had to really like you had to really stand up for yourself, and not let anybody push you around. It was like a you know quite a tough school. 
you know, God help the teachers. <laughs> they, they were run ragged. So all that stuff goes into influencing who you are and who you become. And, you know, it, it's also, there's a lot of luck involved as well, you know. So you kind of like, I think having a real hardcore uh, working class upbringing, it sort of taught me that if you've been given an opportunity, don't mess it up, you know? How do you feel like your new album, Blind on a Galloping Horse, reflects on your life? Well, that album was like written, like all the lyrics were written probably from the build-up to Brexit, right through COVID, you know? And then I did a couple of jobs in the middle of that one, which was This England, which was really intense. And I'd become much more uh, engaged with the new, like what was going on in the world. I don't know if I said this earlier, I may have, but it was like a blind man on a galloping horse could tell you that Brexit wasn't a good idea. And we're all seeing how true that is now and how detached the UK has become um, Europe so many people don't want to come and invest here why would they it's just like full of red tape and you know it's you know nothing about it made sense and it made me really angry especially growing up in Belfast because we although I pay my taxes to the inland revenue you know like it or not whatever I I, I live in Ireland you know just so happens that the top part where I live is ruled by the British government and you know they went into Brexit without ever thinking about the implications of the border between the north and the south what could happen you know the, with all the hard work that was done with the peace process we've now lived in 25 years with you know more than relative peace it's been you know there's there's been little you know clusters of of, of of trouble but you know you're going to get that anywhere you know but it it doesn't have the same hold on our society that it, it did and for that government to come in and just forget about that it was almost like uh you know an afterthought really and and, and you know i have so many brilliant friends that are english some of my best friends live in this town and just the frustration and the, you know, the, just, uh, you know, the banning of the freedom of movement, you know, just that in itself is just so pointless, you know, it's so hard for people in the music industry to tour these days, but they just made it like almost impossible unless you were like a big, super successful band. It's not so easy just to go and tour Europe now and do a load of small gigs. You know, you probably spent your budget trying to get a visa. So all this stuff and then through COVID and then doing this England and having to repeat the the mismanagement of COVID. You know, I just started writing stuff down, just thoughts, you know, ideas, feelings. And I was going through my own wrestle with my own mental health with the you know the, the, the with my OCD 
And so I did that through psychedelic therapy and it was amazing. It was like profound. I cleared the fog for the first time. I was able to actually see very clearly. I wasn't being distracted by these nagging, they call them ants, you know, automatic negative thoughts or gnats. So, which is both quite apt. So like the, the acronyms are like, the words are just like, yeah, ants in your brain. And I didn't, I'm still having negative thoughts like everybody does, but they didn't hang around where before I was on this never ending spiral of just darkness and, you know, inventing things in my own mind. And that was a real distraction. But making this album, a big part of it was getting through that and being able to see much clearly and being able to step out of my own mind and actually care about something else and seeing this catastrophe just sort of happen in slow motion. And here we are. <clears throat> I, I never thought I would write another album again because Holy Pictures is about the, the death of my parents. It's like, I don't know, I have nothing to say, you know. And then this happened. And then just started writing stuff down. And then I just started joining up everything that I started writing, that I'd been writing down. And then that started to form a verse and a chorus. And then I have a song. And then I would sing the song, work with it, work it out, you know. And then once I was happy with that, then I would send it to Raven. And she would re-sing it. And I wasn't planning on Raven singing um, until I heard her sing Hope is the Last Thing to Die. And I thought, it has so much power, so much more power coming out of a youthful voice, a youthful woman, you know, saying these, you know, making these statements. And it was amazing because my ego was decimated. It was like, I don't care. I, if you know, It was all about making it sound as good as possible rather than it has to be me 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 you know it was like you know what i just wanted to be and raven was loving it and i'm her godfather and we had this real special bond and she actually ended up really inspiring me you know because suddenly i was kind of i could write a song and imagine it in her voice so when i was singing it myself i was going yeah this is going to sound amazing when Raven sings it. <laughs> You're Raven Violet's godfather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She asked me to be her godfather. She decided to get baptised when she was like 16 or 17. We were in France. I was working with her dad in a studio. Like uh, We were just making stuff. And she asked me to be her godfather, yeah. And um, I says, yeah, of course. You know, and she's not religious or anything. She just wanted to get baptized. You know, fair enough. It makes you happy. Cool. Um, uh, you know, but, you know, we, we had a bond, you know. She used to just growl at me when she was younger. I said, hey, Raven, come on, let's hear you singing. She was, you know, she wouldn't even look at you. And now, uh, you know, and now we have this really, you know, we're really good friends. And she got so much out of working on the album as well. And uh, not only just her own catharsis, you know, like, uh, you know, going through her own stuff, but also understanding more about what was going on through the lyrics that I was presenting to her. And, you know, and she really, you know, she believed um, in what I was saying, you know. 
David, it's time for the first of your five picks from 45 in this record box that's at my side here. All questions are on 45 sleeves, okay? So I'm going to dip into the box. Uh, you say when, I'll pull one out, okay? Pull one out. All right. Your first question from the box is, <laughs> I think I know the answer to this. What's the best club night you've ever been to? I have a club called God's Waiting Room in Belfast. And I'll be honest, it's on a par with Sugar Sweet. It's different. God's Waiting Room in Belfast, it's, it's kind of like more like a happening. You know, there's the venue itself lends itself to these different places where you can just go and disappear from like the mosh pit of the dance floor but it's like an old mill so we we you know pretty much spend all the money in production you know we just have we're showing films like everywhere it's quite high scening it's all sort of dipped in with kind of glass there's planes flying we're on the flight path so there's like planes coming in and you know it's just a magical brilliant space and the parties we do there are kind of extraordinary. It's just full of like, first of all, it, it's in a real, you know, it used to be quite a tricky neighborhood in the Newton Arch Road in Belfast, you know. Um, a lot of people wouldn't have went there, but you know, times have changed. But in that club, you've got these like groups of kids, you know, like Indian kids with dog collars on and string vests and spiky hair and, you know, it's like that's a, a drag queens and just seventy or eighty year old men, like actors and you know writers and people of all walks of life, just all getting down on their, you know, to this insane music and uh, it, it's a beautiful thing to witness, you know, because it's such a really extraordinary mix of people. And I love that more than anything, especially with all the division that's happening in the world right now. Do you think you make music to make other people happy? No, absolutely not. Um, I think Sinead O'Connor did that without actually knowing uh, how many people that she actually saved, especially young women in Ireland, like growing up in the 80s and 90s. She gave them a voice and that's an extraordinary thing that she did I make music to make myself happy and if it makes other people happy then happy days <laughs> it's very selfish very very selfish on that back into the box for your next question David Say what. there you go your next question is is there anything that you've still not yet achieved I haven't sang on stage um, that may change, but only like a, a one-off thing. I've been asked to do something, but I can't talk about it, but maybe, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just, to me, waking up every day, actually doing what I want to do on my own time is an achievement. That's the greatest achievement. Um, everything after that is a bonus. I know that sounds cliched and twee and nonsense and like very, you know, but honestly, I don't really like awards or award shows or stuff. I just find them all a bit, you know. I don't know. I mean, it's nice when you get an award. If someone gives you an award, of course you appreciate it and stuff. But it's it it it's not on. My, it's nowhere near the top of my list of things to do. I'd rather not even go to an award show or anything like that. 
to me, the award is just doing what you want to do. Question three from the box then, David. Go for it. How does DJ make you feel? First of all, I started DJing because I had good records. And then when I started DJing, wasn't aware of this at the time, but like, you know, further down the line, you realize that it's just amazing to control the narrative. I get that. Like sometimes I'm out and then I'm, I'm, I'm listening to someone else play and they're great. I don't want to talk to anybody. Just want to listen, you know. Uh, so, but so when you're DJing, you don't have to talk to anybody, <laughs> and you can just play good records. Now, I, obviously, I come up through the vinyl age, and you know, taught myself how to mix on turntables at SL twelve tens. Now it's sort of digital with the Pioneer, and you've got your memory stick. I love it. I, I just love DJing with the memory stick. I still buy vinyl and I still like digitize and I buy a lot of digital files. But the record box app and I can put all my folders and it's actually made me a much better DJ because I can play for like six hours, five, six hours and I don't have to sort of like figure out what the BPM is by just freestyling it i can actually go right that's 121 121 okay i've got as if i'm beat mixing you know but it's just made like so much more creative because you've got looping mechanisms and you've got all your eqs and your bit crushers and you know it's, it's a wonderful i you know i love playing remixing as i'm going like getting two songs together and making a new song and you know it's one of the reasons why I love that is because I've had 40 years of experience. <laughs> so I know how to DJ, you know, like I know. And it's not about learning a set and going out and playing it. It's like, okay, figure out what's the first record you're going to play. And know why that's the first record, why you're going to play. And then from there, you're on your own. It's just you and your audience. And... um. I just like I I love feeling, you know, you feel it rather than think it. And so the whole thing becomes completely. There's never two sets the same, and I'm kind of mixing things like, oh, you know, wow, that happened, you know, like back in the nineties, you would have to sort of practice that, you know, because it was it was just so much more, um, sort of freestyle. It still is, but, you know, there's a lot of the stuff that you don't have to waste time doing. And then it allows you much more time to be really creative. Plus, you've got everything at your fingertips. So um, I love it for that. DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ with Chris Hawkins. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is How to DJ. David, back into the box for question four. Yeah. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Question four is who do you have to thank? I'm like, you know, I got there's so many people, you know, it's it's never one person, you know. But you know, my family being, you know, great people, you know. And my missus, Lisa, because she tolerates my you know, sitting in the studio to all ours. Um, 
I think she's kind of just secretly happy that she can just sit downstairs and watch what she wants to watch on TV. <laughs> and, you know, my daughter as well, and also my record company, you know, they're all great people. Like, I, I don't... The people I have in my life are all music people, and they care about the music first and foremost, and they care about you, you know. And, and you know, my friends, you know, like, got some really amazing friends. Paul Goodell, my mate Paul. Glenn Leyburn, inspired by Leyburn. Um, Connor McGahan, you know, like really wonderful group of human beings. I have wondered about Paul, my mate Paul. What's he like? Yeah, yeah. He uh, actually blew all our minds. You know, Paul was just even through life just trying to do different things and he just never really found his his foot. And, you know, he's, but then he just decided, I'm going to be a drama teacher. I want to be a drama teacher. He went back to went to university in his thirties, and now he's teaching sort of drama and English in an all girls grammar school in Bangor in Northern Ireland. And all the girls, they all love him. They all think he's amazing because he goes in with his his Jacques Marie Maj tinted glasses and you know Nigel Cayborn. <laughs> They're going, Mister Cadell, you're so cool. One last question from the box, David. <laughs> this one's signed by Grievan on the sleeve. The question is, name a time that you've thought, I can't believe this is happening to me. When I was recording Sinead O'Connor singing Trouble of the World, like a, it's an old spiritual sort of uh, song that coincidentally was on the album that my mother had, you know, I think it was Mahalia Jackson's sort of Sings the Blues or something. I, was, I can't remember the name of the album. But to have her in my studio, in my home, singing that song for Black Lives Matter was, I'll forget it, because I had recorded it on the Monday. It wasn't the perfect take. She knew it, I knew it. She says, you know what, I'm going to live with it for a couple of days. Just live with it. I'll come back up on Wednesday and we'll do it so I'd been up all night 5am crawling to bed half five like half five or something next minute eyes closed next minute doorbell 9am Lisa says I'll get it she comes back up you're never going to believe who's outside it's like Sinead isn't it and she went yeah and then I went down seen Sinead jumped into the shower you know went down hey and she was going, you know, I was just so excited. I just couldn't sleep. And I drove up from Bray because I really wanted to record it. And they're like an excited child, you know, it was amazing. And uh, she says, I've actually been sitting in your driveway since half seven. And I was like, what? He says, yeah, yeah. He says, I just can't wait to record this song. So I went upstairs, set her up, set her a microphone, hit record. Boom. One take. You know, okay, let's do another one. Boom, another take. Okay, harmonies. Boom, harmony. Downstairs. I'm starving. Bacon sandwich. Oh, that'd be lovely. Bacon sandwich, cup of tea. Yeah. And then back. But while I was recording that vocal, I knew it was the vocal. It, it was just, it was perfect. David, it's been off the charts we've had this time with you. To finish, it's the end of the world, and you've got to play the last three records on earth. 
what would they be? There's a track off the Sinead record. It was one of the first things I did with her. It was a track that I gave her, which was the ballad of Sarah and Jack from my album, The Holy Pictures. That was the one about my parents. Instrumental, I did that with John Hopkins and Leo Abraham. And Sinead wrote a song over that, which I can't really, I can't talk about. But when you hear it, you'll know why that is, you know, the the, the song. You know, it's just, it, lyrically, it's just, it would just break your heart. Maybe the orchestral version of Midnight Cowboy by John Barry, full string orchestra version. It's not on the soundtrack. And, you know, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to say, why didn't I say that? Why did I say that? I think. I can't believe my mind's just gone completely blank. <laughs> just seeing again triggered by anything if i had a dream by elvis presley beautiful there you go that's three david holmes thank you so much and that was how to dj how to dj how to dj thanks for listening please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from <laughs>